John chapter 1, I want to share to you, often we preach in series, we teach in series, we have messages that go along in those series, we repeat a lot of what we say throughout that series so that by the seventh time we've heard it, we actually begin to understand it. We actually begin to, it actually begins to resonate in our hearts. But today, I just have a standalone. I just have a message that, that I've had burning in my computer for a while. I've written it, but I have never preached it. So I will practice on you, and I'm sure at some point I will, I will share it again. But this is, a, this is a personal revelation for me. I want to talk to you today about doing what you love. Doing what you love. This is an exploration, if you will, a quick exploration this morning of the gospel of John or the life of John the Apostle. And here's what you need to know as you've turned to John chapter 1. John knows Jesus. He, he knows with an S, Jesus. He, he don't just, maybe he doesn't know him. <laughs> he knows him and he knows him. He, here you go, listen, John, John came to know him, John came to know him, he continued to know him, he never stopped knowing him. Now listen, it's the knowing Jesus that separated John from anybody else. And he still to this day, not only did he come to know him and he continued knowing him, but he still knows him today. He never, check, he never stopped Knowing Jesus. Now, I've known, some, uh, I've known some Johns in my life, and I don't mean like the slang word for a toilet, John. I, I mean like some people named John. I just, I don't know if that's a thing down here, but, but in North Louisiana, we would say, I got to go to the John. Now, that would always offend my dad because that was his first name. So I would say that on purpose because I knew that was my daddy's first name. I'd say, I got to go visit the John. And my daddy always knew that I was messing with him when I would say that. because, And he couldn't say anything back to me. Even My name was Christopher. But if he made fun of my name, he's making fun of himself because he gave it to me. <laughs> so he couldn't make fun of my name. I could make fun of his all day long, but I, he couldn't make fun of mine. I, I am my father's son in many ways. And you're going to understand the importance of this from both sides by the end of the message today. I am my father's son. I, I, I knew my father. I knew my father. And I knew that one thing my father liked to do was scare me. It was just in his nature. Uh, for instance, we've got this Wednesday night, we've got Carnival coming up. We've got a, a healthy alternative to Halloween. It's a healthy alternative. to We're not going to turn off our lights and lock our front door when the entire community is walking around and looking for an opportunity to be served. We're not going to give them a trick or a treat. We're going to give them a blessing in the name of Jesus. We're going to give them an opportunity to come to a healthy, safe environment and provide an alternative to an otherwise evil thing. But how many of you know what the enemy meant for evil? God can take and turn to good. And we're going to serve our community this Wednesday night. So you bring every baby, child, teenager, that you know and do your best not to dress them like anything evil don't dress yourself like anything evil if anybody comes with an axe in the side of their head or blood running down their forehead and they're in their 20s or above I will ask them to go back home stare themselves in the mirror and repeat this phrase until they figure it out common sense common sense I just need a little common sense and I can go right back and I won't be offended my daddy liked to scare people and I liked I liked at the time I, it, I found it amusing to be scared Unless I was really scared. 
So one night I went and wa- went to a friend's house, and my children know they are not supposed to watch evil movies, scary movies. We just don't let evil in the house for no apparent reason. There's no point in that for me. That's why we don't celebrate Halloween. We celebrate a healthy alternative. My children don't go to other people's house and say trick or treat. They stand in the front yard and give away more candy than possible, and we offer opportunities to prayer, and we say, God bless you, before they walk away. And actually, last year was even funnier. I'm passing this scare thing down to the third generation. I put Gabriel in the bottom of the candy bucket and we covered him up with candy and we had about four kids reach in there and grab some candy and one of them was an adult reaching in for their baby and uh, she was wanting some candy and she got in there and Gabriel said bah and I'm telling you listen her costume got tore up them kids got pushed down they got run over and we all laughed about it said God bless you God bless you know if she'll come back next year or not so When I was about seven years old, I went to a friend's house and I watched a movie called It. I know! I didn't know. I was not afraid of clowns. I thought they were funny. You know, they made balloon things for me to poke people with and dogs. I mean, I wasn't scared of clowns. I loved Bozo. This was my favorite Saturday morning show. Used to throw the ping pong ball in the buckets and all. That was a great show. I wasn't scared of clowns. And then I watched this stupid movie, It. I was like, it's a movie about a clown. My friend's like, you ever seen this movie? I said, no. Let's watch the clown movie. So I watched the clown movie with my friend. Even though I think I knew better, I could hear that still small voice on the inside of me telling me not to. But I watched the whole thing. Well, my dad came and picked me up from his house, and it was late. My dad found out that I had watched something I wasn't supposed to. I had watched this movie about a clown named It. Don't watch the stupid movie, okay? I'm telling you, you don't just let evil in for no apparent reason. You're evil enough, you don't need any help. Come on, somebody. Okay, so I watched, I watched the movie. My daddy took me home, and we lived in a, in a little yellow house that was lifted up on some blocks, and so you could hear just any and everything. And we walked into that house, and my dad walked into his bedroom. The living room was connected to the bedroom. He went around the corner, and my dad let out this blood-curdling scream. And I can't do it because I have this headset on, and it will offend you. I can do it, but you don't want me to. Okay, here, let me help you. And never, I told you, it's bad. That's what he... I'm seven, y'all. It's dark. I just watched it. And my daddy hurled himself onto the floor and started flipping around and doing that scream. Well, I'm doing the run in place. I'm so scared I can't go anywhere. I'm screaming back at him. Fast forward. I'm my father's son. Fast forward, we hire a worship pastor named John. (laughs) He came into the office one morning. I I try to beat our staff to the office. The ladies normally beat me, but I try to beat everybody else. They're just better than me in this season of life. And I I beat them to the office, and I, I heard them pull up, and I looked, and he had all his stuff, man. He was coming in. He had a bag for a bag and then another bag, and he was carrying books and papers, and, and he was coming into his office. So I went into his office, and I cracked the door, and I got behind this little chair, and it's a black chair. It goes from the top to the bottom. It's made of plastic, so it's real light. So I hid down behind this chair like this, and when Pastor John 
opened the door to his office with all that stuff. I threw that chair and I screamed at him like I did a minute ago. I threw that chair up at him and it flipped towards him. And he, lit, he struck the Heisman pose and streamed, screamed back at me in the same pitch. And I was so frustrated because I didn't film it. I don't know why I didn't film that. So listen, I, I get some things from my dad. Listen, here's, here's the point of all that. Besides just making you laugh, make sure you're awake this morning. The purpose of all of those things is a lot of the things that I did was based on who I knew. A lot of my personality was based on some personal relationships. And if you're not careful... Your only personality will be based on personal relationships. See, John did what he did because of who he knew. So if you're taking notes this morning, number one, John the Apostle, what we do is based on who we love, who we know, who we affiliate with. A lot of our personality is dependent or produced by our personal relationships. The Apostle John loved Jesus so much that his what was really based on a who. See, John the Apostle didn't reach billions, billions of people with the gospel. John the Apostle, in the name of Jesus, has reached billions, billions of people for the sake of the gospel. I would say the greatest evangelist that has ever lived on the face of the earth, the most influential person for the sake of the gospel besides Jesus Christ himself. But what we need to understand is that what John did was based off who he loved. I thought my water was right there. Can you throw that to me real quick? I'm reaching. Ain't nothing there. It's like when you stick your hand in that hole and find something you don't want to. You know, I'm just saying. What John did was based off of who he loved. Now listen, that's good news for some of us. Because John the Apostle did some dumb stuff. And, and I didn't, you got to really dig into this to not just over-glorify this guy. But John the Apostle, he was walking with Jesus one day. And when he began to follow Jesus, most scholars, this is good news for you guys, you ready? Most scholars believe that John the Apostle began following Jesus at about 16 years old. Well, I don't know about you, but at 16 years old, I had a lot more passion than I had purpose. <laughs> like, I was zealous. I was excited. But I didn't even know what it was about. I mean, you can look at me now and you can think, well, man, if you were like that now, what were you like then? I'm, it was, it was no, there was no direction to it. It was just like circles, like Tasmanian type energy for no apparent reason whatsoever. If you would like to see a picture of it, I have a blonde-headed son. You can wait for him to come out after service. It's, it's passionate, but it's all over the place. Okay. That was John. He was 16. Had a ton of passion. 
And he knew that Jesus had something that he needed. He knew that there was a relationship in this man named Jesus that he did not currently possess. And so at 16 years old, he began to follow Jesus. He began to learn how to love him. Well, I don't really know what that means to love Jesus. That's because you hadn't learned yet. That's because you haven't developed a relationship with him yet. Maybe you confessed him as Lord, but you haven't committed to continuing, not just coming to know him, but continuing to know him and never stop knowing him. That's what John did. But when he was still in his early years, they traveled through some, an area called Samaria and they met some people that didn't believe in Jesus. And John's like, you can see this guy, the offense, you can hear the offense in his tone. Like, how could you not believe in Jesus? Is there something foolishly wrong with you? And so John, in his zeal and his newfound salvation in following Christ, he says, Jesus, would you like for me to call fire down from heaven and burn them up? And Jesus is like, perhaps there's another way. I love your passion. Love your passion. <laughs> Maybe a little overzealous. I mean, we need to rein it back in. Let me say this, though. I would always rather rein in passion than try to produce it out of somebody that doesn't have any. It's always easier to coach passion back into its proper place than it is to teach someone to have ambition. And so if you don't have ambition and you don't have passion today, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. You need to begin to pray and ask God. What's my spiritual purpose? That's why we do next steps. We'll start another one in November. If you haven't been through it, we believe that next steps can produce some purpose in you. It can direct some passion in you. You've got some ministries and some things that are burning on the inside of you. And you think they're crazy ideas. And that's because they are. They're not just crazy. They're God-sized. They're supernatural. And the only way that they're ever going to work is if you get to know Jesus and you let him produce those things through you. It's supernatural. It's more than what you will ever be able to do. John made some dumb mistakes John was jealous. I mean, he's 16. He was jealous of other people. He started a fight one time over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who's going to be the greatest? I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. Uh, and Jesus is like, hey. <laughs> the greatest of all of you will be the servant of all. Because the kingdom of God doesn't work the way that you think it works. And we're still struggling with that 2,000 years later. We think if things don't work out for us, God's fallen off the throne. We think if somebody else is promoted, but before we're promoted, that some reason we become jealous and envious, and, and it affects our personal relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. Somebody else's promotion should not affect your personal relationship with Jesus. Learn how to celebrate somebody else, and maybe heaven will be able to celebrate you. But promotion may not be the best thing for you. Persecution may be the thing that perfects you. You worry about you and get your nose out of everybody else's business. Praise God for what you have and who you are, and he'll take you to the next place when he knows that you're ready. John was jealous. Well, they're being promoted. Well, they're being produced. Who's the greatest? Jesus says the greatest of all will be the servant of all. You figure that out and I'll show you the rest. He would argue about position. John fell asleep when Jesus needed him to pray. I mean, not just once. 
He did it several times. Jesus is like, look, I'm going to go over here and pray. I've been telling you guys I'm about to be arrested and crucified and killed. I'm going to go pray about that. And I need you to stay over here and pray for me. Like just three of you. Peter, James, and John. He's like, I just took you on the Mount of Transfiguration. You just heard the Father speak. You saw Moses and Elijah. And now I need you to sit here and pray. They're like, yes, sir. We got you, pastor. We got you, shepherd. You go pray. I got you. Jesus comes back. Y'all, check this out. Jesus comes back in blood sweat. Like, he's bleeding sweat. Sweat bleeding. Comes back covered in blood. Y'all, you talk about a horror film. John was asleep. Wakes up. Jesus said, hey, covered in sweat blood. I mean, if I'm John, I can't go back to sleep after I wake up to that. Wake up and look at your best friend covered in your sweat blood. What is going on with this? And Jesus is like, would you please? I mean, look, picture the Son of God in agony and fear, covered in blood that's coming out of his pores in the form of sweat. And Jesus, the sweat blood guys go, would you please stay awake and pray for me? And John's like, yeah, yes, sir. And Jesus goes back and he's like, Father, I thank you for the... He's out again. This man made some mistakes. And listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. When nobody else will pray for you, you learn that you didn't really need them to. See, Jesus leaned on the Father when he didn't have a friend. He didn't need them boys to pray for him. They needed to be able to pray for him. They needed purpose for their passion. Jesus didn't need passion for his purpose. So when he didn't have a friend, he leaned on the Father. And the Father took him all the way to Calvary, to the grave, and all the way back out again. So you don't need a friend. You don't need somebody to pray for you. You just need a Father to communicate with and to touch. But listen, unlike Jesus, you don't have to be perfect for God to use you. These guys weren't perfect. They were messed up. John wasn't perfect. He was immature. He had some some issues. But in his 20s, he began leading churches as a prime apostle. And in his 90s, he was still writing a revelation. So listen to me. Whether you're a child or you're a senior, senior adult, what's your excuse for not being used by God? Because John refused to have one despite his youth or his seniority. He continued to be used by Jesus. Who I am is not determined by what I knew or what I know. Who I am is not determined by my background. Who I am is not determined by my upbringing. Who I am is not determined by what some fool said that he didn't know any better or what God had intended for me. Who I am is not determined by my atmosphere or my environment. Who I am is determined by who I know. My personality will become a reflection of my personal relationship. And who I am is affected by who I know. My first two jobs in ministry were a direct reflection of a relationship that God had led me to develop. My first two jobs. 
my first two positions. My, my entire career at LSU Shreveport and on into uh, minor league baseball was a reflection of a relationship that I had developed. Well, I can't develop any relationships. I don't have any friends. Well, one of two things is happening. Either you're too obsessed with it or you're not making enough of an effort. One of the two. So why don't you stop being obsessed with who's not your friend and start letting God show you who could be? Why don't you stop worrying about what clique exists in the church and start forming the small group that Jesus wants you to form and be a part of? Why don't you stop worrying about the relationships that you don't have and start celebrating the relationships that you do have? Why don't you stop letting other people influence you more than you are able to get into a group of unbelievers and have more influence on them than they are able to have on you? Because personality and personal relationships can affect one another, but the personal relationship that you have with Jesus should affect every relationship that comes into contact with you. They should see the same Jesus inside of you that John saw in Jesus. And it's that relationship that begins to form. We sit around sulking and, and worrying. and Man, this person won't talk to me. I tried to introduce myself. Listen, you so mully grubbing, you, don't, wouldn't ha- you wouldn't talk to yourself if you didn't have to. Stop being so sad and depressed and discouraged and remind yourself to whom you belong. Remind yourself of what spirit is inside of you. Speak to yourself. If you're going to talk, talk positive. If you're going to speak about yourself, speak life over yourself. Speak blessing over yourself. Speak favor over yourself. Remind yourself of whom you belong to and who it is that brought you out of darkness and the fact that you now walk in light and you are somebody because of who he says you are. Not because of what you've done or come from or accomplished. Because of who he is. If you want to be more like Jesus, surround yourself with people who are more like Jesus. It's not that difficult. If you want to be more like him, then stop being around so many people that are so much unlike him. Well, I thought you just said that I needed to have influence. You do need to have influence. But you better be careful Walking into the darkness with a dim light. You need to walk in with Jesus. And there may be a season in your early years where the only people that you can surround yourself with is other people who are pursuing him the way that you are. There's some relationships that you need to lay down. There's some situations you need to walk away from. Because the next place that Jesus has for you is probably going to uh, have other people in it. The next relationship that Jesus has for you is probably going to have different people. Now, it may be the same people, but they're going to be different. And you got to be different in order to make a difference. So sometimes you've got to walk away from so that you can come back and actually have season in your life. You can't walk around with no saltiness in you and, it, and expect to be influential over people. you got to get around some people that are more like Jesus. And when you become more like him, then you can go back to those people. And you can be grace seasoned with salt. You can be influence in their life. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the 
Word, capital, Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word, capital, Word, was God. He. What the personal pronoun is going on? We're talking about the Word. The Word is a He. You mean the Word isn't an it? I thought this was the Word. This thing was the Word. No, 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 no. This is the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So when you open up the Word, you're spending time not in it. You're spending time in Him. You're spending time in His presence. You're spending time in His unction. You're spending time in His purpose. You're spending time in His passion. You open up the Word. Listen, this isn't a devotional, friend. This isn't something you do with a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. This is something that's alive and active. This is something that you take with you to work. You take with you to school. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, able to pierce spirit from soul, bone from marrow. It's alive and able to do what it was out to accomplish. It is effectual. It is impactful. It is the sword of this. This is a weapon. This isn't a book. This is a weapon. This is not a thing. It's a personal pronoun. It's this book is a he, the, the God of all creation, the word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him. Nothing was made that was made. By the way, that includes evil. I'm just saying. I'm going to have to come back to that another day because that's going to mess up some of y'all's doctrine. There was nothing. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now, verse 5, we're going to break this down a little bit more. The light shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. What was the light? The life was the light of men. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first thing he formed, he said, let there be light. And yet the sun wasn't created until the fourth day. So what was the light? Well, the light was the word that came out of God's mouth. The light was the essence. Jesus said, I am the light. I am the light, and you are the light, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness didn't comprehend. In other words, the darkness does not have influence over the light. The light has influence over the darkness. The darkness could not comprehend it. That word comprehend in the Greek, the original meaning is to lay hold of. The darkness could not lay hold of the light. The darkness could not seize the light. The darkness could not comprehend. It couldn't constrict. When the light breaks forth in the darkness, the darkness loses its ability to operate. 
So if you've got some darkness in your life, what you need to do is add some light on it. What you need to do is get the word, which is Jesus himself, involved in this situation. And when you shed light on the darkness, it breaks forth and the darkness loses its ability to accomplish anything. It can't comprehend it. It can't lay hold of it. It can't stop it. It can't seize it. It can't cease it. It can't understand it. It can't constrict it. It does not have rights to the light. Powers and principalities of darkness do not have rights to the light. The enemy himself does not have rights to the light. Verse 12 of this same passage. Somebody has rights to the light. And John understood it. And in verse 12, John says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The darkness does not have the right, but we do. Five amens. Praise Jesus. The darkness does not have access The darkness does not have ambition. The darkness does not have ability. The darkness cannot comprehend. The darkness cannot constrict. But we, as the children of God who believe in the light, have access. Our rights we have because of our faith. We have rights to the light. Listen, listen, listen. That means God is sharing secrets with you. That the enemy can't understand. It it means that, that God is giving you plans that the enemy didn't see coming. God is giving direction, leading you in a direction that the enemy did not account for. God is giving light in you that darkness does not have the right or the ability to lay hold of, to seize, or to cease. So guess what happens? If you're looking at the devil, it should be in your rearview mirror, not in the front window. Unless you're letting him. Because you have the right. He said, we, have the, we are the children of God. We, to those who believe, have been given the right. We have the right. Verse 5 said, darkness doesn't have the right. Verse 12 says, we do. So what's happening in our lives is dependent not upon the darkness, but upon what we're doing to the darkness and with the light. Y'all okay this morning? I'm trying to preach you back into the place that Jesus purchased for you. Number three, relationship gives rights and brings revelation. Remember, we're talking about the life of John. We're talking about this doing what you love. And I'm here to tell you today, and and, and our in-house prayer pastor, Blaine, did not have my notes for this message today. But you're going to go through this life, and it's going to have some highs and lows. And you can be in the world or you can be in Christ. You're going to go through it anyway. You may as well go through it with the light. Because what's ahead is a lot longer than what's currently in place. And if I read the end and I saw that he didn't win, I might would do something else. But if you've been listening on Wednesday nights, 
the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus to John, we win. With, if we're in him, we win. So our perspective is bigger than our present. And therefore, we don't get stuck there. We keep looking to him, therefore we keep moving forward. And when something happens in your life, you have the right. You have the right to make two choices. You can lose faith when something happens to you. Or you can let God show you reason. Everything that happens doesn't happen for a reason. But God can bring reason to all things. Things don't work good. How many of you can testify to that? You ever bought something that broke? I, I don't have hardly anything. I got shoes I didn't even wear for 10 years. I pick them up, they fall apart. I don't even understand how that even works. Something's eating my shoes to pieces. Maybe that's why so many people had mothballs back then. You're like, God, holy, my shirt's been sitting in my closet for 20 years. Something's been chewing on that thing. Put a mothball on it. Smells like fire. But man, it will make that thing stay away. <laughs> when we have relationship, we have right. If we leave the relationship, we lose the right. It's important. You walk away from this relationship that you're developing with Jesus. You can confess him all you want to. If you don't continue in him. If you continue in my word. John 8, 31 through 32. If you continue in my word. Then you are my disciples indeed. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You confess him because it's got to start somewhere. But you continue in him because you don't want to just start this thing. You want to take it all the way to the end. You want to finish the race. You leave the light. You lose the right. It's really that simple. If you step outside of the light, you lose the right. When you open your home up, when you open your eyes up, when you open your ears up, when you let the darkness come in, you step outside of the light. Because the scripture says where there is light, there is no darkness. So when you let the darkness in, you just made a choice to leave the light and lose the right. And sometimes that is the most difficult season of our lives. And yet, instead of accepting responsibility for it, we do what Adam and the woman did from the very beginning. We blame God and his creation and our surroundings and atmosphere. No, 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 no. Acknowledge that you made a mistake. Acknowledge that you need to accept the responsibility. And remind yourself of who you are and who you could be in Christ Jesus. And then abide in him once again and continue in him once again. Because when you develop the relationship, you maintain the right. John knows Jesus. John's intimacy with Jesus gave him impact in eternity. John's intimacy with Jesus <clears throat> gave him impact in eternity. In fact, John's intimacy with Jesus gives us insight into the life of Jesus Christ that only John can offer. If you want to give someone else insight into the life of Jesus, then you've got to become more intimate in your relationship with Jesus. And it will start with you. 
John's intimacy with Jesus gave him impact in eternity. And John had an impact that no one else had. Judas was money hungry. Peter was hoping to build his own kingdom. But John wasn't there for himself. John fell in love with Jesus. John had an intimacy with Jesus that produced insight, integrity, production in the kingdom of God that was unlike any other. Only purity can pave the way to that true intimacy. So listen, let me say this carefully. Are y'all listening? I need you to listen right here. We can't have intimacy with Jesus the way that we're supposed to have intimacy when we're intimate with other people and things that we're not supposed to be. And I know that's heavy. That's tough. But you will never be in the relationship that Jesus has for you when you are remaining fulfilled by things that he died for. You will never be fulfilled the way that Jesus desires to fulfill you when you are still pursuing the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of this life. In other words, you can't dress like a playboy and be a pure girl. Guys, I'm going to help you. You can't stare like a perv and stand in purity. No matter what she's got on. She's not your excuse for being being filled with lust. She's not your excuse. She just happens to be your object that day. Listen, let let me help you. Let me help you. Some of our marriages are on the rocks because we brought in everything that we were already doing and we thought that marriage was the answer. And our marriages are on the rocks because we never built our marriage on the foundation of the rock, which is Jesus Christ. We were cheating on Jesus with the person that we were with. And we wonder why in the world we bring unfaithfulness into our relationship. Listen, if they will cheat on Jesus with you, then they will cheat on you with somebody else. It's the intimacy with Jesus that brings about the love of the relationship that the Father has for the person. It's the relationship and the intimacy with Jesus that brings about the purity in the marriage that should cause a child to refuse to accept anything else because they see mama and daddy pursuing purity in Christ. If you're willing to sacrifice your modesty for attention now, then you will sacrifice your marriage for attention later. It's his eyes that we desire to please. Our fulfillment is found in the audience of one. And John got this. John never stopped following Jesus. 
He didn't just know him. He knows him. When the rest of the disciples scattered, when Simon Peter began to follow at a distance, John followed him into the courtyard. When the disciples dispersed like ants in fear, John sat at the foot of the cross beside the mother of Jesus. When the tomb was empty, John went and visited the tomb because there was just this sense of an expectation from the word of God because the word of God does not return unto him void and John had heard the conversations of the Savior that yes this temple will be destroyed but I will raise it back up again in three days so John went to the grave with an expectation that was based on an intimacy that only he had that's a word for somebody today when everybody else leaves you when everybody else scatters when everything around you is falling apart you better find yourself at the foot of the cross looking into the eyes of your savior because it's not been lost when you look into the tomb and you see nothing it's because he's already risen himself from the grave when you look into the tomb and you think everything that was dead and gone and broken has been destroyed then all of a sudden you open up the door and there's nothing there it's because God wants to remove the things that are not supposed to be in your life so that he can replace him with the life and the light that he has for you there on the beach on the beach John looked up and John saw Jesus and Peter said who is that and John said that is Jesus John recognized Jesus and Peter had to repent will you recognize him now or will you repent later one more example fast forward to the Isle of Patmos He's 90 years old. I'm telling you, your perspective is dependent upon your position. So where do you sit? John is on the island of Patmos all alone in seclusion. And he has a vision. Hang on before you get excited. It's the same vision that Isaiah had. John was 90 alone persecuted exiled forsaken and he's having visions at 90 years old Isaiah same room same vision John receives a revelation for the ages Isaiah has to repent Isaiah says whoa is me for I'm unclean my eyes have seen but John says you are the alpha you are the omega you're the reason that I'm here and you're the reason that I'll stay as long as I have to he had an intimacy Isaiah's vision was a vision of repentance, but John's vision was a vision of revelation. And the only difference was perspective. Same scenario, but a different seat. Where do you sit with Jesus? Because your relationship is determining your revelation. And I don't want to know about the experiences that you had yesterday. 
because if you live there, you will die there. It's time for a new thing. It's time for a new step. It's time to do something different. It's time to confess something different. It's time to speak something different. I know the revelations that you're having. That's great. But I want to know the revelation that I have not yet seen. The Holy Spirit comes and reveals things that are not yet. He will show me a way when there seems to be no way. He will give me a way out. He will give me something to say. When God calls you to college, when God calls you to the workplace, when God calls you to the grocery store, the restaurant, when God calls you to the hospital, when he calls you to the prayer line, when he asks you to sell your stuff, when he asks you to get rid of one thing so that you can get out of debt over another thing, when he asks you to leave your family or when he asks you to lead your family, on your own, you have nothing. But I've been with Jesus. I've been sitting in his presence. So on my own, I may not have anything. But because I've been with Jesus, I own everything. I've been given the right. The right to be the light. The right to be the answer. The right to be the solution. The right to not just be part of the problem, but part of the problem's solution. Not just for me, but for everybody that God has put in my path there's nothing I don't own so you have revelation that brings vision beyond the moment the greatest revelation is the one I'm walking in now do you know Jesus the way John does if you don't then we have something to do right now father I pray in the name of Jesus right now where we sit that we would evaluate where we are in you There are some in the room that became satisfied. God, don't let us be satisfied. Don't let us live off yesterday's revelation. Don't let us live off yesterday's experience. Don't let us look around and say, wow, look what we've done. Look what we've accomplished. Let us look around and see all that is still to be accomplished. All that is still to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm talking to you right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you came into this place today, you're confident in the fact that you were following Jesus, but you know, you know that there's more to learn about him. Maybe your situation has caused you to struggle more. Maybe darkness is having its way in you more than you are having your way with it. And now today, you just needed to be reminded that you have the right because you are the light. If that's you, if you just needed a reminder this morning to not just recommit again, my God, but to go further, to not stop, to never settle. As a follower of Christ, I want you to lift your hand right now. I want you to, you're confessing this to yourself and to heaven and to everything around you on the earth and even everything below the earth. We have been given the right to those who believe. We have been given the right to be called sons and daughters of God. I will operate in the right that I have been given. 
I will not be subject to the atmosphere of the world around me. I will not be subject to darkness. I'll do a new thing. Be something different. I'll see a new way. I'll say new things. I will never stop following Jesus. I'll never stop knowing him. There's one more group in the room. You're not more important. But to us, to us who believe and follow Christ, you are the most important person sitting in the sanctuary right now. You've not been following Jesus. Maybe you did at one time. Maybe you remember the good old days. Maybe you've never confessed Him as Lord. Maybe you've never received salvation. I'm telling you, those who believe have been given the right to be called children of God. And today is your day. It's a day of repentance. It's a day of changing your mind. Following Jesus, not yourself. If you today need to confess your sin, ask for forgiveness, receive salvation right where you sit, because you have never or you have not been following Jesus, I want to invite you right where you sit just to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? Don't you go another day. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Thank you. I want to get this thing right before I leave this place this morning. Church, would you pray this prayer with me all over the room? I just want you to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall. You shall be saved. Come on, let's confess this together. If you raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. I want you to let heaven, yourself, and the enemy hear your new confession today. You ready? Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, forgive me. Where I fall short. Cleanse me. Save me. Help me to know you. And make you known. Take my life. Make it yours. I believe you died on the cross. You were raised from the grave. So I could have a new life. May I follow you. With all of my heart. From this day forward. And never stop. Never stop knowing you in Jesus' name. Come on, can you praise him in his house this morning?